Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitvotah v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, v'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi, amka b'tisrael, v'niye anaknu v'zetzeinu v'zetzei amka b'tisrael, kulanu yodei ha'shemeka v'lomdei Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamet Torah le'amo Yisrael, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai ki lishuateka ki viti Hashem. This is the Pesach RPM, uh, Bezrat Hashem. There will be lots more to this, but just to get us started, uh, we are getting prepped with uh, removing the Hametz and Bedikat Hametz is coming up um, actually on our calendar as Tuesday night, uh, this this year anyway. Uh, but it's basically uh, the beginning of fourth day. Uh, Pesach will begin on fifth day, which is sundown of Wednesday on our calendar this week. And uh, that's the, the 15th of Nisan begins that night. So Pesach is technically just that night. So when you're looking at calculating Pesach, if that happens to be something you're interested in, you would literally start with the search of Hametz. Now, this would have been the night that Mashiach had his Seder uh, on a Peshat level. I was in a discussion over this past Shabbat with a few Avengers, and we were looking at uh, the first case precedent of having Pesach with Hashem because we know that Mashiach is the clouds of glory. He is the voice of Hashem. He's the manifestation of Hashem. Everything that's invisible about Hashem is visible in Mashiach. That basically would be an expounding on uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15. I'll just go ahead and make sure I source that out appropriately. So opening up the Bible, Colossi the congregation there, and we go to 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in Shemaim and on Ha'aretz, the seen and the unseen, whether thrones or angelic powers or rulers, or authorities. All was created through him and for him. He exists before everything, and in him all holds together. He is the head of the goof, which is the body, his kehal, his community. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have so that he might come to have first place in all things for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself uh side note it says that the passage uh the footnote here says the passage of yeshayahu 63 where we say kadosh 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 the whole world is full of his glory, is attributed to this passage that we're talking about. The fullness that Hashem has in the earth is in Mashiach. 
So this is why Mashiach would say things like greater than the temple before Abraham was, I am, you know, things like that. Anyway, and so it goes on to say, making shalom or sliga and through him to reconcile all things to himself, making shalom through the blood of his crucifixion stake, whether things on earth or things in Shemaim. So first of all, why did Colossi get this letter and none of these other congregations got it? You know, like, seriously, like, what would they own? What were they on to use proper English? <laughs> you know, just that's some deep stuff. And clearly Mashiach is more than a man here. Uh, you know, expecting a human Mashiach is kind of fruitless. But uh, just to go on to saying, how are you going to be the image of the invisible God? The fullness, the melokola ares kevodo, like the fullness that's in the earth that glorifies God. Okay, so obviously we were made in God's image, but that was before we ate the fruit. That was before truth was subjective as opposed to objective. That was before we were dying. That was before we lost immortality. So we, we were at a point in which we wouldn't die. We were immortal. We had objective truth. There was no Yetahara to trip us up and pull us away from Hashem. And we had such a, a presence that the angels would worship us, confusing us with Hashem. Because you read the Midrash Rabbah about when Hashem created Adam, it says Hashem had to put Adam to sleep just so the angels could know, hey, that's not me. I don't sleep or slumber, but. He does, you know, so I'm just, just saying like, this is, this is the prototype of humanity that we're supposed to be, but today we're not. So this is the human form that if you're expecting Mashiach to come in this form, that's why it's a problem. But the way that Adam and Hava were before we ate from the tree and, and everything that they had before everything that we lost, the level which we arrived at with Mount Sinai and then lost because of the golden calf, you know, because those are on the same platform. Death left the world at Mount Sinai when we got there and Hashem showed up and then it came back because we made the golden calf. We would have left Sinai with the Torah going straight into the promised land and bringing the messianic era over the whole entire world. That literally would have happened. But that's been saved for the final redemption. So let's try to get it right this time, shall we? Okay, because RPM, redemption, please, Mashiach, redemption per Mashiach. Like, let's make that happen. You know, like. Let's not make any golden calves. Let's not eat from no trees. Let's not listen to snakes. You know, let's listen to Hashem. Listen to Mashiach. You know, today, if we hear his voice, that's the day of salvation. So whether or not he shows up on Pesach, like we want him to, as we're sitting at the Seder or whatever, side note, just want to drop down that, you know, Eliyahu precedes Mashiach by three days and isn't it interesting? We look for Eliyahu three days before the festival of first fruits. 
which means from the 14th of Nisan until the 15th of Nisan, by the 16th of Nisan would be the resurrection day of Mashiach. And so Eliyahu preceding Mashiach by three days would be fulfilled literally if we see Eliyahu at the Pesach Seder. But anyway, just things to think about. Festival of the First Fruits, 16th of Nisan, little known holiday. We should probably talk about it. If time allows, then Bezrat Hashem, we will. If not, I'm pretty sure Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Israel, will drop kick like the rain on all of that. He's just dropping Pesach insight after insight on an Aliyah day for the whole entire week. So if you're not subscribed to Rabbi Griffin on uh, Anchor, or if you're not watching the Lapid Judaism YouTube channel, you should probably pick that up because, I mean, it's time. Tis the season. And back to my point here is that, you know, we need to just kind of be ready to to engage and go forth and um and keep everything you know according to the pattern so expecting to go back to what we lost today you'll be with me in paradise basically kind of thing that mashiach said to the thief that was next to him on the stake and you know that's how instant teshuva is that's how instant it is to enter into covenant so you can come into covenant whenever you're ready. So, but when you get in here, don't expect, okay, I made my choice and I'm comfortable. It's like, no, you get in in here and you throw down, okay? You suit up and you you lock and load, okay? We don't, we don't just kind of sit around while people are rowing and go, I got my salvation, I'm good, okay? Because salvation to a Jew is a daily thing like the waters of a mikvah. And we cycle in and out. We run and we return. We go, we come back, you know, like exert ourselves and then come back and reset, re-up. I was going to say reset, but yeah, re-up. Okay, load back up. You know, we we dive in in the morning. Then we go out and go to work and then we come back from work and we dive in again. Then we do what we need to do uh, in our home lives. And then right before we go to bed, we dive in again. You know, uh, so it's like this constant, you know, you exert and then you fill back up. It's like breathing out and breathing in, breathing out, breathing in. That is what salvation is. You know, it's not this bypass, like chill, you know, obviously because of the pandemic going on in the world, that's all getting worked out. So Baruch Hashem. And, um, Anyway, so as our Pesach is going forth and we're getting ready for all of that, really we're starting Pesach when it comes to searching for the Hamids. So, you know, after that, that at the conclusion of the Seder, we are now in the festival of unleavened bread. Okay, so we're in the quote unquote third Yom Tov. Shabbat is number one, Pesach's number two, unleavened bread's number three. And then within Unleavened Bread, within the third one, we're going to have the Counting of the Omer, the Festival of First Fruits, and then we're going to have Acharon Shel Pesach, the seventh day of Pesach, which is where we celebrate the parting of the Yamsuf, the Red Sea as it's commonly called. So uh, that is like a huge gargantuan uh, Avengers Endgame battle. Let me just give you a couple of highlights 
and Bezrat Hashem, as that comes around, uh, if I can still podcast, I will definitely share this um, with the help of Hashem. That I'm not going to, it's in the Midrash Rabbah, so I won't be able to read it verbatim, but again, if time allows, I will try to do it then. But Hashem lifts up the whole land of Mitzrayim for those who are left, because after we read what we're reading tonight, uh, how is anybody left? But anyway, he lifts that land up so that they can see the Yom Suf, which, by the way, has at least 12 pillars of water shot up into the sky because Hashem caused the parting of that sea and the waters pushed way up into the air. And then you have Janus and Jumbris, who are the children of Belam. Yes, the donkey loving prophet Belam, who gave us the Matovu, that Belam uh, from from Bamibar, the Sefer of Numbers, the Book of Numbers. His children are making war on the heavenly angels, and Hashem had to dispatch, uh, I believe it was Gabriel, to go down and uh, slam them against the firmament uh, to keep them from being victorious. So they're doing all kinds of magic incantation, you know, sorcerer style, like the uh, the nemesis on the Doctor Strange movie. Uh, I think it's Carcillian. Yeah, like Carcillian and his goof troop on there. He was doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, Hashem has brought the plagues back fivefold. So that's where the source of 50 plagues at the Yom Suf is happening. Then you got the children of Israel, who, by the way, had pregnant mothers and nursing mothers. Because, you know, the first redemption being like the last redemption and Yeshua said, you know, woe that that day be on a Shabbat or that you're pregnant or nursing. So it's just kind of like, ideally, it seems on the surface that you don't want to be pregnant or nursing on that day and you don't want that day to happen on a Shabbat. However, when we left Egypt, it was on a Shabbat and we had nursing mothers and pregnant mothers because the babies in the womb saw Hashem at the sea and they praised up and said, this is our God, we will worship him, as well as the suckling babies who were crying and their mothers were picking fruit out of the walls. They pointed at Hashem and said the same thing. So yeah, you got all sorts of ridiculousness happening at the Yom Suf. So that's what we're entering into. That's the Kedusha of this week. And I've been like, just in my own mind and everybody who will listen to me, I've been telling them, expand your consciousness. I feel like Morpheus on the Matrix movie saying, free your mind. Because the only reason the children of Israel were able to go through this, and again, this is from Veyoat Zenu, uh, one of the modern commentaries uh, from, let me go ahead and get his name, because uh, we show honor and respect to our our uh, bomb droppers here, uh, Rabbi or Rav Moshe Boyer, Shlita. And Shlita is an acronym for may he be blessed with a long and good life, amen. A good long life, amen. So if we want to talk about Rabbi Griffin, we'll say Rabbi Griffin Shlita. May he be blessed with a good long life. So anyway, Rav Moshe Boyer, Shlita, in his commentary on Veyoat Zenu, uh, he brings that down that the plagues of Egypt took place over a year 
And the only reason it took that long is because that's how much it took the children of Israel for their minds to expand, their consciousness to expand and have the bitakon, the trust and confidence in Hashem to know that Hashem is mastery over nature and creation and reality. It can be whatever Hashem wants it to be. So if Hashem wants it to hail with fireballs in it, he can do it. If Hashem wants wild animals that are normally separated when they're in a zoo to attack a town together and go on a certain path and trajectory, he certainly can. So we can have snakes work with rhinoceros, work with elephants, work with lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, they can all come in together like the animal Avengers and do some destruction. That's what the plague of wild beasts was, by the way. If Hashem wants to make it completely dark so no one can move and only the Jews, those who are in covenant, i.e. those who have the light of Messiah, if he wants just those people to be able to see and, and move around, then simultaneously that can happen with everybody else stuck, frozen in darkness. Like literally they can't move, they can't see, they can't stand up and they can't sit down. That's how dark it was. So anyway, just those are a few examples. There's way more. And just to keep swerving on that, that the plagues are happening right now in the world. We're seeing the plague of wild beasts, but due to the Baruch Hashem of Teshuvah, instead of them coming in and wreaking havoc, they're now peacefully coming in. You now see animals coming out of the forest into these empty city streets and just kind of walking around. And sea creatures who are normally further out in the ocean and never approach the shoreline, well, because the beaches are shut down, they're coming up to the beach, like within shoreline range. You're like, what are you doing up here? So I hope we see some some uh, sea creatures that we've never seen before. Uh, maybe like the Tachash or, you know, yeah, the Leviathan. I mean, obviously that's not good because the Leviathan can kill a lot of people, but the Leviathan is supposed to be slayed and that's supposed to be our dinner. So there's that. But anyway, just... You know, stuff is happening and the the mitigation of the judgment happens because of our teshuva. So what was written that should happen, those evil decrees are torn up. OK, this happened to us before. OK, we shouldn't be surprised that, OK, why is revelation not happening? It's like, did you make teshuva or did you not want to? Are you really you not? Are you really not taking the hint that Hashem has given the, the whole entire globe? Everybody needs to calm down, stop being arrogant, stop being rebellious, stop being debaucherous, and just chill, okay? Reset your life, reset your faith, reset your mind. Listen to me. There is a God, and, and I am him. His name is Hashem, you know, like that kind of stuff. And when we do that collectively together, not just for Jews, this is for the nations. All of us got to do this, Okay. Because whether we know it or not, we all come from the Torah. This is why we all know, don't go out killing people. That's Torah. It's not just a law. And by the way, why does the law exist anyway? Like, you know, legal things and illegal things. Because Torah. And we're just playing ourselves thinking, oh, only the Jews do Torah. It's like, okay, so that's interesting because that means... Basically, the non-Jews are half Jewish at best. 
because they're all law-abiding citizens, well, except for the ones who don't abide by the law, which means they're really self-incriminating. But anyway, furthermore, probably more people would enter into Covenant of Tor if they actually knew what it was. And uh, apart from all the crazy mind control, brainwashing, uh, religion talk that happens with people on soapboxes. I'm just saying, because I was far from Judaism uh, when I converted. I learned about Hala and that was it. I had, I was like, Hala, what? Hala, Hala at your boy. That's what you can do. Circumcise me right now. So anyway, um, just things like that. Everybody has their thing. For me, it was Hala. Other people, it might be Shabbat or Zitzit or something. I don't know. Anyway, so Pesach, Kedusha, that's where we're in. The 10 plagues build up the faith, filled up the proverbial vessels, if you will, of the Jews over a whole entire year. Could have went faster if we went faster. And but that's how long it took. So just saying uh, for those of us today, we still have the same opportunity. How quickly can we expand our consciousness? Because that also hastens the redemption if we get into a mindset of understanding Hashem his mastery over reality, uh, because we already know reality is only what we perceive anyway. Even science has proven that. So why don't we just go ahead and tip the scale, jump on the falling wall and help it push down. Okay. Let's break the barriers. Let's do it. Anyway. So the veil at Zainu dropped, I'm trying to finish is that they created these vessels and that ultimately culminated into them leaving during Pesach that year and they left. Now, again, I want to mention that as we celebrate Pesach this year in 5780, all the dates and all the times line up exactly as they did when we left Egypt. So literally, we don't have to pretend that it's Pesach. We don't have to pretend that we're leaving Egypt. Because we literally will be, and we literally can, if we so choose it. So may, may Hashem receive that, and may Hashem, you know, literally deliver us. Because the final Egypt is Edom, Rome, the current exile that we're in. That's the final, that's the final redemption. So leaving Rome, leaving this final redemption. So... May that be so. Anyway, but our vessels have to be filled up. How are our thoughts? What are we saying? And what are we doing? Those are the vessels. We fill those up with God consciousness, like knowing who Hashem is, like what we read in, in the Pesach story. Like, okay, that creates the ability for us now to leave Egypt. And when we get to the Yom Suf, all that ridiculousness of the end game that's going to happen. Like, we'll be able to be like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm focused on Hashem. I know the water's splitting. I know I'm walking on water. I know I see Hashem. I know my babies are talking and, you know, praising God literally audibly and not just baby talk. But they're like literally saying Hashem. They're saying that and fruit is growing in the water. And, uh, you know, we just got kicked out of Egypt and we have 90 donkeys each. Uh, yeah, because that's a thing. Uh, the Midrash says brought that down that we had 90 donkeys per Jewish male that left Egypt. So Yeshua came in 
to the proverbial Egypt riding in on a donkey because Moshe did. He rode into Egypt on a donkey. Well, he had his family on it. And then Mashiach rode into the Edom, the exile that we're currently in on a donkey. And so the way you leave exile is with more donkeys. <laughs> so and they're carrying your stuff. So all that's going on and we get out and, uh, you know, we're, we're focused on Hashem. That's really what's important to us. So, yes, miracles are going on, but the greatest miracle is that people who were formerly idolatrous and rebellious to God and paid no mind to him and had no comprehension of him, now we do. So the miracle of miracles is the focus of Pesach. So may that be so, because whatever is going to happen over the next seven weeks, because yes, seven weeks have, has actually been declared by the government for shutdown at least seven weeks. So that's crazy coincidental. Not because how much, how long is it going to take to get to Shavuot? Seven weeks, starting from the 16th of Nisan. Goodness. Was that timed much? Anyway, just saying, Hashem has lined up a whole lot of stuff. Science, government, you know, everything is just working hand in hand. Leveled playing field. Everybody has the same opportunity. We're all locked at home, so we have plenty of time to study and pray. So we should be figuring this out. You can watch your YouTube and watch your videos and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. But uh, this time amount that you have right now is ridiculous. Please take advantage of it. Create those vessels for Hashem to do literally big things. Now, Pesach. Pesach is important because if you look at it, it's three letters. So if you have Pesach, you have the letter Pay which is the word, which is the letter for mouth. You have the Sonic, which is the letter for shield, as in Captain America's shield. And then you have the letter Chet, which is symbolic of the word Chai, which is life. So a mouth that is a shield of life is Pesach. And thank you, Ishpela, dropping this in from Sephizames on the, part, on the uh, Pesach Haggadah. Says in the Beit Hamikdash, the Korban Pesach had even more power to elicit appreciation of the miraculous nature of our freedom. Again, for freedom that Mashiach set us free, Galatians chapter five, verse one, right? That letter written to the people in Galatia. That freedom is a miraculous freedom. That freedom, by the way, is connected to the letters on the tablets because the word for engraved letters on the tablet actually says freedom letters on the tablet because the word for engraved and freedom are actually the same word in Hebrew. You have cherut and charut. Charut means engraved. Cherut means freedom. So that connects to what is brought down um, Shavile Pincus uh, on Parsha Kitisa back in 5779. He brought down that uh, there were 22 Psalmics and Mims that uh, Gematriad all together equals 1000, which is the 1000 lights. Uh, this is a uh, make sure I got the right. 
Yeah, it's fifty-seven seventy-nine Parshaki Tisa, and that was from Shattering of the Lukots, the Barim Nine. Okay, and then where did we drop? Arizal talking about the small Aleph and the thousand lights. Uh, the the small Aleph at the beginning of uh, of Viagra. Yes, that one. So. Yalkut Yashar, okay, it says he heard from his uncle, the great Moshe of Ratzvodov, may his memory be blessed. He said a fascinating thing in the name of Rabbi Shalom of Kaminka, may his memory be blessed, addressing the idea presented by the Kabbalists originating in the Arizal's Sha'ar Hakava note. That's a whole bunch of witnesses for one source right there. That the small Aleph and Vayikra uh, connects to the thousand lights. So anyway, all of that being said, that Samic Mem, those two letters, the shield and the Mem, which represents the concealment. So the shield of concealment when you put those two letters together, that's the abbreviation for the Yetzahara. And the Yetzahara literally has those two letters connected to the name of God. And that makes the full spelling of the name. And because the Sumics and the Mims were engraved as freedom in the tablets, we were granted freedom because the law being written on our hearts, like the, the way the tablets were engraved were supposed to be like our hearts. So our hearts were supposed to be tablets, but we never connected our hearts to the tablets. So that's another thing for another time. But anyway, the Samic and the Mims in those tablets were suspended miraculously because the letters were already floating. But you have this sapphire metal type substance, which not is really not correct because it's from Shemaim and it's what the throne of God is built out of. So what kind of metal is that? But anyway, sapphire, stone type stuff, not metal, sleek stone. <laughs> I stand corrected. But anyway, um, Baruch Hashem. So the stone there, you have these big chunks of mems and somics, and there are 22 of them, and they're ridiculous. So anyway, that's all going on. And because they stayed floating in the tablets, there was no more death. There was no more struggle with our Yetzirah and no more exile. So exile, death, and Yetzirah are intricately connected. But because of the freedom we received on the tablets, should we have connected our heart to it, which would have meant that would have became a reality within us? Why do we have to believe in Mashiach and ingest him into us? Well, because we were supposed to ingest the tablets into us which we know the tablets were Mashiach because they were a piece of the throne of God. What's the throne of God? None other than Mashiach, i.e. the Torah. And the Torah became flesh, and that's why Yeshua is the Torah, throne of God, and all that. Anyway, that's all going on. So now we take him into us, and it becomes manifest in who we are. We allow our vessels to fill up, and now we can focus and enter into this Pesach thing. So anyway, the, the mouth there and all that the miraculousness and all that kind of stuff so pardon me one moment i want to tell uh each that you are right 
on time. Because, uh, yeah, he just sent me the source and I was podcasting and here it is. So it says. The Corbin Pesach had more power during the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, to elicit appreciation of the miraculous nature of freedom. We have miraculous freedom, Brugashem. The word Pesach can be understood as a combination of two words, pay and sock, mouth that talks. That's why our mouth is so important. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You have not because you ask not like to just mash those two verses up because, you know, the Bible is really one because people have made it into an Old Testament, New Testament. It's like, no, it's two separate things and two separate gods. OK, get it out of here. Not anymore. Not in our house. But anyway. So Yaakov coming over here with uh, Melek Shlomo being on the same page about the power that's in our mouth. Because those are the two individuals who dropped those verses. So it says that the offering and the eating of the Corbin Pesach aroused the people's capacity to perceive a great spiritual light. Hmm. Mashiach much? A great spiritual light, the light that came forth in the darkness on the first day of creation. And Hashem said it was good. Okay. Anyway, when they were granted freedom to serve Hashem and verbalize this joy. Seemingly, the requirement to drink the four cups was instituted only after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, just as the Corbin Pesach had earlier inspired the Jews to sing out their joy in the story of the Exodus, the four cups of wine to a lesser extent, kind of like going from sapphire tablets to stone tablets, you know, a lesser of the two as far as the quality same context same contents but different quality went from sapphire out of this world tablets to stone in this world tablets everything was in the first tablets but only the ten commandments were in the second tablets anyway so the Pesach lamb during the time of the temple is like sapphire tablets compared to the four cups that we drink now for the Pesach Seder being like the stone tablets, just to do a compare contrast ratio. Sapphire tablets, Pesach lamb, stone tablets, four cups of wine. They both are the same thing, but the stone tablets and the four cups of wine are a lesser quality of the quality of the sapphire tablets and the Pesach lamb. So anyway, so if you want to eat the Pesach lamb, drink your faux cups, okay? Eat the afikomen and eat that roasted egg, okay, the roasted boiled egg. That's how you partake of the lamb. Two lambs on Pesach or two goats for those who want to get real spiritual uh, because you can offer a lamb or a goat on Pesach. Interestingly enough, that's why the Pesach that Mashiach provided for us is uh, redemption and atonement at the same time because he's the lamb and he's also the Yom Kippur goat. Okay, so putting Yom Kippur and Pesach together, that that is a thing. Okay, because you can offer the goat as well as a lamb, which connects us really back to the Akedah because the ram uh, is uh, Ayil, which is actually a uh, male sheep, regardless of its age. So there's that. Anyway, so we drink the cups now. 
and it aroused the same feelings. So in this light, we may offer a figurative interpretation to the Mishnah Pesachim 10a from the Jerusalem Talmud, which states, even the poorest man of Israel, the administrators of the charities, must provide him with not less than four cups of wine. Even the poor people among Israel get to drink four cups of wine. How amazing is that? Yeshua said, the poor you will always have among you. Okay, so they get lavished on during Pesach. By the way, there's a whole thing, too, about uh, giving them the grain uh, before Pesach, like the the non homets stuff. So go give matzah to the poor people, uh, basically, before Pesach starts. So that way they have matzah on Pesach. And if you can, even grant them uh, the wine so that they can do the four cups. You know, so a lot of people get to be brought in. Don't 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 just think of poor people as like paupers on the side corners. But think of poor people who don't even know anything about Pesach. Just give them matzah and tell them about check out your Bible. Exodus chapter 12. Give them a copy of it. Send them a video. Uh, you know, Sar Shalom is live streaming from the Sar Shalom live stream. Sar Shalom Synagogue has a live stream channel. Live stream is an app or a website, whichever one you want to go to. Sarshalom Synagogue on Wednesday night, which will be the 14th of Nissan. They will be, we will be streaming a Pesach Seder live. So anyone who is poor, like IE, doesn't know anything about Pesach, it will be available. So get some matzah, get your drink. And, and I mean, it needs to be kosher grape juice or wine, kosher wine. And coach for Passover stuff and, and bring it. So anyway, uh, that that should happen. Like there shouldn't be any left out people, basically, is what the point is. Even our spiritually destitute generations, the poor men of Israel. See, there we go. Low level, like we're not even on the level of Arizal. We're not even on the level of Baal Shem Tov. But yet it's like even us. We must still strive for divine revelation once obtained from the Corbin Pesach. And how do we do this? By drinking the four cups. Spiritually impoverished as we may be, the four cups still have the power to elicit the same emotions once evoked by the Pesach lamb. So that's from the Cephas Ames on the Haggadah. So Pela, you are appreciated. All right, so Pesach, mouth that speaks. Uh, we got the mouth of the shield of life, uh, according to the letter breakdown. Then the gematria is 148. Guess what that is? One plus four plus eight. 13, we have Ahava. We have the word for love. So you really want to love Hashem, celebrate Pesach. You really want to express your love, which is done by fulfilling the commandments, because Yeshua says, if you love me, i.e. if you love Hashem, you will keep my commandments. Because why? If we love Yeshua, we obviously love Hashem. If we love Hashem, we obviously love Yeshua. Because they're they're one. They're, you can't love one without the other. You can't obey one without the other. So if you're obeying Mashiach, it better look like Torah observance. And if you're obeying Hashem, it better look like Torah observance. Anyway, 13 is also the word for Echad. So if you want to become one with Hashem, which is Echad, then celebrate Pesach. 
That is literally why in Bami Bar chapter nine, Numbers chapter nine, there was a group of people who was like, we can't do Pesach and we need to do it. And we will not have this. We were defiled by a dead corpse. Uh, be something that kept us from doing Pesach. And it's like, well, let me go talk to Hashem and see what you do. And Hashem was like, oh yeah, a month later, have them do Pesach Shani. It's totally cool. They want to be one with me. That's that's really important. They don't want to let the year pass them by. Come on. So yeah, so that's how important Pesach is. Like if you can't do it on the 14th of Nissan, then you better a month later make it happen, Captain. So anyway, Numbers chapter nine, you can get you some on all that information. Now, I want to go to the Baha Turin because the first use of Pesach is the phrase, the Lord's Pesach. So the Baha Turin really doesn't comment on that word Pesach, but it comments on the word they. See if I can zoom in here. They kaha. Okay, vav, kaf, kaf, hey, which means and so. Says the Mesoretic note. Bet means that this word appears twice in the Tanakh. It appears here, so you shall eat it. And regarding Ezra's adjuring the nobles to relinquish the debts owed them by the poor. And so may he remain shaken out from Nehemiah, Nehemiah, chapter 5, verse 13. So release the debts that are owed to you by those who are poor. Can we say, forgive them for they know not what they do? Like, why were we forgiven of our debt on Pesach? It is finished. Well, that's part of Pesach. Anyway, uh, it says this compares the second entry into the land of Israel in Ezra's day with the first entry after the Exodus. So we went into the land the first time. You know, under the headship of Moshe to Yeshua, i.e. Joshua ben Nun. And then the next time we got to do that was after Babylon under Ezra and Nehemiah. So it's like, all right, cool, we can do this. The thing is, is the source is bringing down. It says this, as the sages have stated, it would have been proper that a miracle be performed for them i.e. the Jewish people, in the days of Ezra, just as it was in the days of Moshe. So the miracle that took us out of Egypt and brought us into Eretz Israel the first time, that should have happened the second time. But why did it happen during Ezra and Nehemiah's time? It says, however, that did not happen because sin caused them to forfeit the reward. They for, we forfeit, we forfeit this reward. So, again, if we turn back to idolatry, which is the root of all sin, I don't want to be Jewish. I don't want to follow the Bible. I just want to keep the New Testament. I just want to do my own holidays and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, you're throwing away miracles when you do that. Don't. Okay, we do need miracles right about yesterday and four weeks ago because of the worldly pandemic that's going on. We need miracles to get out of this. Just just saying we do. The government can't help us. Our own resources can't help us. Not enough face masks and gloves in the world can help us. Only Hashem. 
just like in Egypt. Only Hashem could get us out. Nobody could. Moshe couldn't get us out. How many times did he go to Pharaoh? It wasn't until Hashem was like, you know what? I'm coming down there. Thank you for going ahead of me, my son. Because, you know, Moshe was literally called the son of God. Most trusted of his household kind of stuff. Anyway, another Joshua, another time. But Hashem was like, you know what? I'm coming down there. I'm going to handle business. And Pharaoh was like, oh, my gosh, get out. So, again, we need Hashem to go ahead and show up, come down, and get us out. And not at the the sake and the fact of we need this virus to be over, but and we want to get back to life as it was. But no, we need to get to life as it will be. That's why we need this to be over. We don't need to go backwards. We only need to go forward. We need to move into the next epoch of mankind where spirituality progresses towards physicality and that unification that that'll be. That's what we need. We need that out of the wilderness from Sinai into Eretz Israel type newness. That's what we need. We need that life. So may it be so. May there be no detours, no turnarounds, and no forget it, I'm out. But all Amuna, all Bitakon, all only you, Hashem, and all your word is in my heart. Like it permeates my existence. Like to the point you say that I am a letter of your Torah. Because that's what we need to be. We need to be a letter of Hashem's Torah. So which one are you? Suit up and lock and load. Okay, so Baratorin brings that down. The other thing is that the Pesach offering is called a Zavach, according to Shemot 20 or 12, 27. And this Pesach offering is, is, is Zavach is the word for sacrifice, like what you literally do when you slaughter the animal to uh, once you slaughter it, it becomes a Zavach. Slaughtering is a different word, but what happens after it's slaughtered, you now made this a Zavach. Zavak is first used in Bereshit 3154. And as I was looking up the uh, the meaning of the word Zavak and just like the basic translation of the Hebrew and where this is used throughout the Tanakh, it called it a peace offering because it's an offering that's eaten as a community. It's a communal meal. The case precedent, because the first time this word Zavak is used is when Yaakov and Levon and all their families got together and had a little meeting at Gilead. So yeah, that was called a peace offering. And that's what the Pesach is. You ever wonder why you're to create a household and everybody in that household is to eat the Pesach lamb together? Why do we have to come together and eat Mashiach, partake of him, his flesh and his blood? Well, because the Pesach is what Mashiach is, among many other things, because he's all the offerings. But again, that's a Josh for another time. So as we enter into Pesach, we're looking at Shalom, partaking of Shalom and doing it in a Echad format, in a unified format, because all of us who are sitting around our table in our own home with our own family, we're doing Pesach because Pesach, again, when you do the gematria of Pesach, it's 148. One plus four plus eight is 13. So you become a chad, which is the definition of shalom, 
you know, uh, because people who are echad are in shalom, you know. Anyway, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Shemo Echad, like his name will be one, you know, like the Yodin Hey with the Vavin Hey. May that be soon in our days. Ankelos on Shemot chapter 12, verse 13 brings down, the blood shall be a sign for you upon the houses where you are. I shall see the blood and I shall have mercy on you. He's using this word Pesach as a mercy. But the word Pesach literally means to skip or jump. And Ankelos is like, no, nah, it means mercy. Rashi also says, yeah, it can mean mercy. He, he's like, yeah, I can agree with that. Ankelos is like, yeah, it means mercy. Because if we say it means skipping, then, oh my goodness, for, may it be forbidden that Hashem is skipping like he's a, a image or something. Like he has a manifestation like Hashem manifests. Like, whoa, we don't want that. And it's like, no, Hashem can skip. If he can walk on water and the people can point at him and say, this is our God and we will worship him. I mean, come on. Anyway, just a little drop on that. That Pesach also means to have mercy upon us as well as be our shalom offering to bring us together into community as a household. And find it interesting that we're quarantined as a household, <laughs> not allowed to go anywhere and all this kind of stuff. Hashem is so amazing. Midrash says, want to bring this down from, I'm going to go all over the place. So this is all in Parsha Bo. So page 95 and 96, here we go. Similarly, Hashem commanded the Bnei Yisrael to offer a Corban Pesach and place its blood on the doorposts and the lentils at the time when the Egyptians were being punished. Hashem did not he did not need this sign to distinguish the houses of the Egyptians and those of the Jews. Rather, the blood served as a public display on the part of B'nai Israel to show that they were publicly, what, converting. I mean, Slika, repudiating the Egyptian idol worship. Oh, yeah, Megillah 13a, uh, you know, repudiating idolatry makes you a Jew. But anyway... I want to I want to share that point. Megillah 13 if my my phone here will uh cooperate with me. Come on, cooperate. Um uh, come on. Repudiate idolatry. Megillah 13a. Bring it. Talmud Megillah 13 Zay. All right. So says Rabbi Yohanan said in a different explanation of the verse, actually Mordecai came from the tribe of Benjamin. Why then was he referred to as a Yehudi, which is Jew on account of the fact that he repudiated idol worship for anyone who repudiates idolatry is called a Yehudi Jew. It is understood here in the sense of Yehudi, one who declares the oneness of God, as it is written, there are certain Jews, Yehudim, whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylonia, Shadrach, Meshach, and Aved-Nego. 
These men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. That's from Daniel 3.12. These three individuals were, in fact, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shouts out to Ishnatav. It says, who were not all from the tribe of Judah, but they were referred to as Yehudim because they repudiated idol worship. So someone who declares Shema Yisrael and someone who repudiates idolatry, which is like saying Shema Yisrael, that's what a Jew is. Anyway, so as we painted the blood on the doorpost, we were basically converting. So for those of you who feel like, oh, I haven't done a mikvah yet or I haven't formally converted yet. It's like, did you or did you not repudiate idolatry and declare Shema Yisrael? Namely, twice a day before you retire and when you retire and when you arise. Do you say Shema Yisrael? Do you declare the oneness of God with your life? That's conversion. Now, the rest of it, Bezrat Hashem, you do it sooner than later, but that comes over time. Okay, you'll mikvah. If you need to get circumcised, you'll get circumcised. If you've been circumcised medically, but not through ritual conversion, then you do hatafat dambrit, you know, where there's the, the needle prick and you draw a drop of blood and put it on a gauze pad. And that's your witness <laughs> putting blood on a quote unquote doorpost. So where did the blood come from? You know, is pretty much the point. Where are you putting it for display? Now, obviously, you don't go around pricking yourself and showing your hot to fight down breed blood everywhere. That's between you and the bait dean. Don't you ain't got to post it on Facebook and do all that weird, crazy stuff. Just don't. OK, but anyway. <clears throat> Hashem didn't need the blood on the doorpost is the point there. And the other point is that because there was a public display of nope, we're not idolaters and Hashem is a chad. That was conversion. Hashem was like, that's what I need. The fact that you do this action is just basically proving that you have faith. Like your works are working with your belief. Like I'll show you my faith by my works. Like, oh, thank you, people. You really believe because you've done something. Anyway, demons believe and shudder. Jews believe and do. Okay, like we actually do something. We don't just shudder about it. All right. So anyway, um, the B'nai Yisrael are, did this public thing and it says, and they showed that they were followers of Hashem. Jews are called believers and children of believers. Believers today has been taken so out of context because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I got my Bible. I hold to my cross and I just mm, not anymore. Because uh, that's all changing. So thank you, Hashem, for that. And continue to make Teshuvah, everybody. We need it more and more and more. The The egg hunts have been canceled. So that's great. So what are believers supposed to do now? Uh, well, they need to put the eggs down and pick up matzahs. So Bezrat Hashem, that's happening. So anyway, going on, I'd like to say on this page 96... In addition to the laws of Corbin Pesach, Hashem ordained that the 15th of Nisan be observed annually in every generation as the Yom Tov of Pesach. So it's like, all right, sundown of the 14th of Nisan going into the 15th. That's when you celebrate Pesach every year and every generation. So in other words, it doesn't go away. You can't cancel it. it says B'nai Yisrael would have to remove chametz, which is leavened dough. 
So oats, barley, wheat, rye, and spelt, any of those five grains, the primary grains, when they are mixed with water, that's hominids. The grains by themselves are not hominids. But yet, if you consume any of these grains, they will become hummus because they will mix with water in your body. So you may not, you don't have to remove these items per se, but don't eat them. So it's just kind of like, do you really want to put temptation in front of yourself? Or are you strong enough to do that? You know, and besides, if they come into contact with water and become hummus, unbeknownst to you, that would be an issue too. So make sure you do have those things waterproof anyway um if you're me because i'm ridiculously crazy uh, and i'm fine with that i just throw it out i'm like i don't care oats get out of here i'll see you next week <laughs> you know it's, it's just a week i mean and go go give food to people okay go go donate it okay anyway um because you know you can give to people who say that they're believers and don't observe Pesach. I mean, that's a thing for them. That's a kind of get you some moment of like, you say you believe in the same God I believe in, but yeah, you, you're willing to take homage and eat homage on Pesach. It's like, well, yeah, you gave it to me. So what's wrong with you? It's like, well, what's wrong with you? That's why we're having this conversation. I mean, I'd rather not give it to you. I'll throw it in the trash, but you know, this is a witnessing opportunity. I just wanted to pass you a track. You know, obviously there are better ways to witness, so, uh, not that I'm condoning that, but I'm just saying that is an opportunity. Anyway, so you remove hummets from your dwelling place on the 14th of Nisan and you keep your house free of hummets for seven consecutive days. They were commanded to consume the Corbin Pesach each year with Matzot and Maror on the night of the 15th of Nisan in, here we go, eternal, say eternal eternal memory of their deliverance from Egypt. If you stop celebrating Pesach, if you stop eating uh, matzah, and if you start eating hummets on the 15th of Nisan, then you're saying, God, you never redeemed us and you will never redeem us. Because why? The first redemption and the final redemption are echad. They will be exactly the same. So to negate the first one is to negate the final one. It's also negating the fact that Yeshua just died for nothing. Like you negated the reason for him offering himself. That's what happens when you get rid of Pesach. Page 99. You know, the bones of the Pesach are not supposed to be broken, right? Why were the, the bones not to be broken? Why didn't they break Yeshua's bones on the crucifixion stake? Well, here it is. Hashem commanded Moshe and Aharon that prior to slaughtering the Corbin Pesach, a company were required to join with the intention of eating it together. So get together and intend to eat this before you go slaughter it. Okay, so everybody gets together. Okay, no outsider would be allowed to join the group once the lamb had been slaughtered. So you can't just be like, oh, it's candle lighting. All right. I guess I'm going to go be a part of this household now. It's like, no, the lamb got slaughtered before the candles got lit. So we're already in it. Anyway, you got to you got to have the intention. You got to know, OK, it's coming up. Let's do it. You know, 
and you were aware. This is not for people who didn't know it was the 15th Nissan and like somehow miraculously after candlelight and they were like, oh my gosh, it's Pesach. I need to do a Seder. Like, okay, the reality of that really happening. Okay, what what is that? The, the whole world has the opportunity right now to know Pesach is coming up. I'm just saying, you can't really be like, oh yeah, it's Wednesday night. I should probably do a Seder. It's like, how long have you known about this? How long have you been in quarantine? Anyway, just saying there's no excuses. So <clears throat> not one bone of the Corbin Pesach was allowed to be broken. After consuming the Corbin, the B'nai Israel had to say had to. Remember this thing on Rosh Hashanah that we do? where we go out to the side of a spring or an open body of water and we do this thing called Tashlik, casting our burdens, our sins, you know, and all that. Uh, yeah, so that's what we do with the bones. The bones are not to be broken because we're going to use them for Tashlik. The Tashlik we did in Egypt was cast the bones intact into the marketplaces. Like the shopping malls, the department stores, which are all closed right now. Go throw the bones out there. Like the, the area where people are to and fro. So I guess for us, had we been in this situation, it'd be the proverbial, throw these onto the tollway, throw these onto the city street, throw this at the city hall. Obviously, we can't do that now because that's not what we're called to do. We have to stay at home, first of all. And second of all, we shouldn't have any bones of the Pesach lamb to cast out today because we don't have a temple to have said Pesach lamb. So that's the only way you get a Pesach lamb is the lamb is slaughtered at the temple on the 14th of Nisan. So, Selah. It says, the B'nai Israel to cast the bones into the marketplaces in full view of the Egyptians. This is crazy because the Egyptians, this is like their chief deity. And not only did we drag it through the city on a rope and tie it to our bedposts, we roasted it. So the smell was like overwhelming throughout all of Egypt. We ate it and then we cast the bones of it in front of their faces. It's like, this is what we think about your God. He was delicious. Mashiach came in the likeness of man and showed us that we have to get beyond the likeness of man and focus on Hashem. So he allowed his bones to be on display to the whole entire world to say, hey, there's something more than this that redeems you, that sets you free, that gives you life. That is the hope that you should have. That's called Hashem. And so just to let you know, if you expect a man to free you, this is as far as he gets to go, because in order for the atonement for sin to be made, it ca it's called for death of the flesh. The whole entire human body has to die, has to be put into the ground and it has to decay. That's the only way you're going to atone. And furthermore, a man can atone for his sin and maybe somebody else's sin, possibly, but not the whole entire world and every single generation. That's the power of Mashiach's death because he is before every generation, every age and all of that. So 
he atones for his generation because it says the death of Mashiach ben Yosef atones for his generation. What is the generation of Mashiach ben Yosef? Because like, yeah, generations come from him. And again, the level of Mashiach is in what's called Atik, which is the upper part of Keter, which is the top Sephirot on the Kabbalah tree of life, which is outside of time and space. So what generation is that? What generation is outside of, outside of time and space? That means every generation is inside that generation. So there you go with that. And furthermore, his bones showed us that, okay, so we can't expect a man. So how are we going to, what are we going to do now? And it's like, great, you'll see what happens. This is as far as you can go if you're a human. But if you're beyond being a human, if you're like the essence of a shaman stuff, well, guess what? Not only is there resurrection, but there is moving in and out of time and space because he showed up to them in a locked room. He came out of the tomb that had a giant rock in front of it, which rocks always moved in the presence of Mashiach anyway, because the rock that traveled with us in the wilderness was moved by Mashiach. So the tomb, the rock rolling away from the tomb, that's nothing new. Yaakov himself, the grandson of Abraham, pushed a giant boulder off the well up in Haran, where he met his wife, Rachel. So Yaakov, who who his image is the image of the lamb that's on the throne. It's like, okay, so he's a manifestation of Mashiach, basically. Um, he has the same word used for his death. He It says he gave up the ghost in the Hebrew, which is the word for expire. So it's like Yaakov didn't really die. That's totally a thing. And that's connected to Moshe didn't really die. That's totally a thing. So here you are with these pattern redeemers and the likeness of the one who was to come, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, having this didn't die aspect and supernatural human stuff going on and all that. Okay, anyway, Mashiach is the actuality of all those hints and uh, shadows and all that kind of stuff. So going on to the point that, you know, he caused all these fish on one of the days of Pesach to just get into the nets of the, the Talmudim, you know. He's on the shoreline and they're out there trying to fish. And he's like, cast your net on the other side. And they're like, who are you, dude? We've been fishing all night. Like, what? This is a small lake. Us casting our net on the other side is no different than us just turning around and putting our pole on the other side of the boat. Like, how is that supposed to make any difference? And then it's like, as soon as they turn and put their net literally on the other side of the boat, which is less than, it's got to be less than six feet wide. But anyway, time and space don't matter, so it doesn't matter what the distance was. However, they cast it on the other side, and they, they almost, like, sank their boats because there were so many fish. It's like, okay, tell me, can a man do that? Can a man just make all these fish appear, like 153 of them? Just saying. We know how many fish there were. What kind of person is going to be like, I'm going to give them 153, not 150 or, like, uh, 200. No, I'm going to give them 153. Now, that's tied to a whole nother drop about Bezalel and uh, Good and Yosef and all that kind of stuff. So we ain't going to even get into that. But anyway, point is, 
the bones of Yeshua were not broken because the bones of the Pesach lamb were not broken and they had to be thrown out to the idolaters to say, look, this is what your God is. So, Selah, who is our God? Our God totally told us what to do with your God and this is the result. So, and I know, I know, we used to worship it too. I know, but not anymore. Things have changed. I'm a new creation now. This is just how I roll. So, there. I want to hear it. You are not allowed to look down on me because I keep the new moon and because of the way I eat now. Okay? So, you bunch of Colossians. I mean, Egyptians. Anyway, I, I was basically trying to tell you that that's what Paul was exhorting the Colossians about in uh, chapter 2 about the new moons and the festivals that don't allow people to look down on you for keeping them. But anyway, we had that problem in Egypt because we used to worship the lamb. And Shem's like, don't worship the lamb, worship me. I know my image is a lamb, but it's also a lion. Uh, and so there's that. And, and furthermore, I really, my image is, you know, it, I mean, it's beyond that. So, uh, yeah, so let's, let's get with the program. And we're like, okay, uh, we're to roast the Pesach. Can't boil it. Can't fry it. Got to roast it because roasting brings out the smell. And it says the aroma is going to dissipate throughout Egypt. It's sweet odor was so overwhelming that B'nai Yisrael streamed to Moshe Oh, I forgot to add that uh, Hashem added wind from Gun Eden to cling to the roasting Corbin Pesach. Is it any wonder that the Garden of Eden, Gun Eden, was attached to Mashiach on the stake? Because he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Could that be what the thief next to him on the stake smelled? He smelled Pesach and Gun Eden. And he was like, you know what? I'm a sinner and you did nothing like it confessed and was like, bring me with you. And he was like, all right, cool. Let's go. Anyway. So case precedent here, we're in Egypt roasting the lamb. Ghani Denwin comes through and it says that this aroma was so overwhelming that it caused people, the B'nai Yisrael to stream to Moshe. Kind of like if the son of man is lifted up, all men will be drawn to him. The ark, also, as it went throughout the wilderness, uh, drew in the divine sparks. So the whole thing about the magnet, the magnet is the word of Hashem. So anyway, says they were begging him, please let us eat of your Corbin Pesach. But Hashem commanded Moshe and Aharon to allow only circumcised people to partake of it. This is the thing. So people go, OK, so people who are called Gerim, like they didn't really convert, but they're they just so happen to be with us. Like, what, do they get to eat of the Pesach lamb? And it's like, no, they get to be at the Pesach Seder, but they don't get to eat of the lamb. And it's like, that's cruel because it's like the most sweetest smelling, a most amazing revelation type food that they could possibly ever eat is like right in front of their face. And they don't get to partake of it because they're not circumcised. And it's like, Wow. I mean, if you put that next to go ahead and sell your hamits to non-Jews, 
like that's kind of that's even more cruel it's like i invited you to, to this lovely meal the main item of the meal you're not allowed to eat so when the afi coleman today if we bring that to today's format that means when the afi coleman comes out people who are not circumcised and in covenant with Hashem do not get to eat that so that's kind of sad because that's like the big climax of the night and it's like well you didn't you don't agree to be uh a non-idolater and a person who says the Shema, so you don't get to eat this because it's not good for you. Did not Shaul bring this down to the Corinthians? People who just wanted to come to the Lord's table, which by the way is a Pesach table, and they want to come and just eat. They want to come drink the cups and eat the eat the bread, which was matzah. They want to come eat that just for the sake of having a meal. It's like uh, you're bringing down curses on yourself. Listen, <laughs> check this out. Okay, this is just like ridiculous because, I mean, this is in Corinthians. So um, it's commonly called the Lord's Supper. So let me go ahead and pull that up. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to drop down to verse 17. He says, in the following instructions, I have no praise to offer because your gatherings do more harm than good. First of all, I hear that when you come together as a congregation, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. You guys are not a chad, basically. So you're not Pesachin says, and indeed, there must be differences among you to show which of you are approved. Indeed, there must be like, listen, he's saying distinctions. We need to know who's in and who's out. Because why? He says, now then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Pesach that you eat, for you eat Many of you proceed with your own meal to the exclusion of others. While one remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have your own homes in which you eat and drink? Or do you despise the congregation of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What can I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? No, I won't. He says, no, I will not. For I received from Hashem what I also passed on to you, that Mashiach Yeshua, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. When we get to the step called the Yachatz, which is where we break the middle matzah, that's what this is talking about. That's why this whole thing about the Lord's Supper and communion is such just get it out of here. We that's old stuff. Get out of here. We we on that new. We on that new new right now. OK, we're on that new new. All right. So this is a this is the Pesach. It's called the Lord's Pesach, just like the first time Pesach is mentioned in Scripture. Yes, because the Torah is Scripture. So therefore, Scripture, eternal word of God can't be done away with. OK, preaching to the Levites says that this is the Lord's Pesach. So the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Pesach, there you go. It all has to do with eating in your home, 
You also have to have a distinction like, okay, are we covenant people eating this meal? Any non-covenant people eating this meal? Because if they are, you don't get to eat the afikoman. You don't get to eat the Pesach lamb, but you can drink the drinks. Now, he's saying that people are already eating with our own meal. So skip the 15 steps, go straight to the Shulkan Orek, the part where you have the meal. They're like, let's do that right now. So let's do the Seder, not as a Seder, because Seder means order. And so it's like, forget the order. Let's do this out of order. So we'll have our meal first. And then not only that, we're drinking four cups of wine. Why not drink eight or 18? You know, like, let's just go ahead and do this up. Let's do this real big. Let's get drunk right now. Let's get wasted. So they're doing all that. There's not any distinction. It's like people are in here. They're circumcised. They're uncircumcised. It's like, doesn't really matter. The poor people aren't even getting their matzo portions. It's like, what did we just study about Pesach on this podcast? And it's like, you go to Corinth and it's like, y'all are crazy. Anyway, verse 25, he says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you shall proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You shall proclaim what happened to Mashiach, which was Hashem's body uh, image manifestation here. What happened to it? It died, which was encompassing for us. So it caused us to all die. So we're literally saying we, we all pass from life into death so that we can come into newness of life and resurrection. So that's what the Pesach Seder is all about when we get to that cup. And that's the cup that we drink after the meal. There's a cup that we hold up during the Birkat Hamazon. After we pour the cup of Eliyahu, we have this cup. All right. So anyway, we're holding this cup up and it's doing stuff. And we're talking about until Mashiach returns, this is what we got. This, by the way, would be the same cup you should say, I will not drink from this cup again until I drink it anew in my father's kingdom. Notice how that cup is directly next to the cup of Eliyahu. Side note, due to who I am now deeming, so this is for you, homeboy, homeboy, as the Shummer version of Mr. Fantastic, i.e. Reed Richards. Okay, we have a Jewish version of that guy now. Whether he knows it or not, whether he likes it or not, he really does a good job of portraying this guy. Uh, he brought down a source that there's a cup of Miriam, which is a cup of water that we have during some point of the Seder. And we talk about this cup because this cup represents the rock that traveled with us while we were in the wilderness. This cup is the well of Miriam. It's in Miriam's merit that we had a rock bringing us rivers of living water and so we have a, a, a knowledge and a hats off to that moment because it was in her merit that this rock did that. So let me just read this to you because he just stretched his arm over here and just punched me in the throat like that was OK. It's from, uh, oh, of course, it's a children's book. <sighs> Jewish children's books, man, those need to be registered for real. 
It says, in every generation, which is a PJ Library family Haggadah. Seriously, bro? How are you going to assault people with a children's book? Anyway, we fill Marion's cup and take a sip from our own glass of water. We remember Miriam and the many women who helped keep the Jewish people strong and safe. Have everyone pour a bit of water into Miriam's cup and take a sip from their own glass. So at that point, we're basically having water turned into wine because we're drinking our four cups of wine, but there's a cup that's water that we will drink and then we will continue partaking of wine. So now water's turning into wine at the Pesach table. I mean, that's just ridiculous. The family Haggadah, Miriam's cup, Reed Richards. Uh, what's his, we're going to call him, um, hmm. Reed, we'll call him Raish Richards, I guess, for lack of a better term. So that's, that's my makeshift name for now. <laughs> makeshift because it's like stretchy form. Doesn't have a form yet. Kind of like Reed Richards when he stretches his arms and legs. It's just like it doesn't really have a form. Anyway, so yeah, that's you. Talking to you, homeboy, who shared that. You know who you are. Anyway, hopefully, I don't know if you're going to hear this or not. But we do have a race Richards now. All right, cool. Anyway, Corinthians 11 uh, and the Pesach Seder, which is the Lord's Supper. There we go. Now, uh, page 102. And the Midrash says. This is really the point of the podcast. Uh, two hours later. That Pesach connects to this word called Chizim which is from Bereshit 49.23 and Tehillim 1.27 verse 4, Genesis 49.23 and Psalms 1.27 verse 4. Chizim is the word for archers. And in Bereshit, it's talking about the, um, the accusations and the, the, um, the slander that was shot so to speak, at Yosef from the tongues of his brothers who were like, oh, you think you're going to be king over us? Psh, whatever. Like, we're going to throw you into a pit. We're going to take your garments and dip them in blood and show them to the father. It's like, okay, that's not what I anticipated. I was expecting you to take hyssop, dip it in the blood and put it on doorposts so you can say, you know, like God is God and stuff. But now you want to take my blood and do that. Well, okay. Not my will, but your will be done, I guess. Anyway, that's Yosef being an Akira. Uh So, but the word for uh, this archer, Chizim here, is the same gematria as Pesach. And in Telling 127.4, it breaks it down to saying that these are the children of your youth. So, Bechizim Beyad Gibor. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. The rest of it says, so are the children of your youth. So there's a whole drop on that uh, that I want to get to, but it's going to, I want to connect that to the point of Pesach, which is the father to son relationship. The, the quintessential way to evangelize, proselytize, share the gospel, if you will, is for the father to share it to his son. 
Zippor Aish with her violent self decided to do a a whole podcast like ridiculous. Uh, what does she call it? Get the exact title. The Torah, Heart of God. If you can check that podcast out, I shared it on my Twitter because, yes, I have a Twitter. Um, Shomerman's on Twitter as at Amet Lapid. It's funny because you think I forgot my uh, Twitter name. Anyway, I did. So she shared on there that the Torah that Moshe brought down from Mount Sinai, it wasn't new. Like that always existed. But the only way it was learned, studied, applied, spoken, was between fathers to their sons. You know, like Adam to Seth, you know, like uh, Lamech to Noah, you know, like Noah to Shem, you know, like Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Yaakov. Like, that's how the Torah was taught. The Torah is about father to son relationship. Is it any wonder that when the Torah is manifest, he says that I and my father are one. And I have always existed with the father because, you know, Torah is a father and son thing. So if you really want to share your faith, if you really want to share the word of God, you do it with your household first. Namely, those who are your kizim, your archers. And from your archers, they're going to share. And from them, they're going to share. You know, this is why anyone you teach Torah, they become your your offspring. So now, as you're sending out your teaching, they perpetuate your teaching, Bezrat Hashem. If it's good enough, I guess, I don't know. Word of God, I mean, do we really want to say word of God is or isn't good enough? I mean, I don't want to be judged of that. So anyway, with that being said, there's a the culmination of Pesach happens with the slaying of the firstborn and then Pharaoh like kicking us out, which is the word Yetze, which is Vayetze when Yaakov was sent out. And that's when the Jewish nation was built because he was sent out from his father's house. And then he went and found a wife or three or four. And uh, had one or two or 12 children. And from those 12 children came the tribes. So Vayetze is directly connected to the birth of the Jews is what I want to get at. And it all has to do with the father's son. Because the slaying of the firstborn was happening while we were engaged in the Pesach. So by the time we finish the Seder, which needs to be before midnight. So, you know, make it happen. At midnight was when the slaying of the firstborn happened. So we're going into our Seder. We're talking to our sons. Our firstborns are part of that, you know. And for every other firstborn who wasn't in covenant, they got struck down. So that's that's uh, pretty crazy. But anyway, the point being that, you know, are we bringing people in or are we leaving people left out? And looking at the the times and everything that we're in with all the things matching up, like the people who don't know about Pesach right now, like Hashem, can we just help them know, please? May, know, may it be your will that none perish and that the whole world is brought into Pesach 
and brought into uh, the exodus, namely the exodus from this exile. I mean, so just a couple of things, because on page um, 100, it says, when the Egyptian firstborn heard Moshe's warning about the plague in which they would all perish, they implored their fathers. See, they went to their fathers because that's the thing. This is all about the father-son thing. And it says, please release the Jews. In the past, everything that Moshe predicted came about, and we don't wish, we wish not to die. The Egyptians' fathers refused to listen to them, answering, each man possesses ten sons. It is better that each family sacrifice one of its sons rather than let the Jews go free. By the way, a tenth talking about a tithe here, the Egyptians would rather tithe a human being than to let the people go. So that's how they pay their tithes. They sacrifice their own children. Is it any wonder that idolaters were totally okay with the worship of Smolek, passing their babies through the fire and whatnot? Anyway, this is why being a non-Jew is a problem because that's the mentality that you allow to rule over your existence. Whether you do it actually or not, that's your head covering, which isn't really a head covering because non-Jews don't wear head coverings unless they want to. And it, at that point, it's not a kippah or anything traditional for Jew to wear. Anyway, seeing that their fathers were merciless, the firstborn sons decided to appeal to Pharaoh, which is interesting because the father of their fathers is Pharaoh, kind of like the father of our fathers is Hashem. So, you know, there's that. Says uh, they decided to appeal to Pharaoh. They reason Pharaoh will certainly acquiesce because he is a firstborn. Like, our fathers may not have been firstborns, and so since it doesn't affect them, they don't care. Pharaoh, it affects him. He should care. Isn't that sad how unless something is affecting us, we really we typically don't care. That's why this is this COVID-19 is a blessing because it's affecting so many people and we are caring. We're literally saying don't go out and infect people. We're literally like praying for those who are on the front line of battle against such a, a deadly disease, you know, and people that don't have it and, and pretend like it doesn't exist or they're oblivious to it. They don't take any precautions whatsoever. It's just like, wow, you know, like that's just kind of crazy. So again, we all need more Shuva, myself included, like Shuva, 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 Shema, Shema, Shema. I mean, Hashem help us. So they pleaded with Pharaoh, grant the Jews liberty. So now you got Egyptians doing what Moshe did for a whole year. They're doing it in one night. That's how crazy it is. Grant the Jews liberty. Why should all of us be annihilated and you too? What is Pharaoh's response? Expel these men from the palace. Pharaoh angrily instructed his servants. We must all be prepared to sacrifice our lives to prevent the Jews from leaving. That is ridiculous. Anyway, 
What happened? The firstborn returned home, but before midnight, they wreaked havoc in the land by drawing their swords and in blind rage, slaying their fathers who crossed and whoever crossed their paths. They took all types of precautions in the hope of being saved from the plague. Some were hidden by their parents and the temples of idol worship, which they thought to be safe. Many firstborn children ran to the land of Goshen to sleep in the same beds as the children of Israel. At that exact moment when midnight struck, Hashem's words came true. The Almighty descended upon Egypt, accompanied by a host of destroying angels. Hashem himself slew the firstborn because only Hashem knew who that was. Uh, It says he slew the firstborn while the angels of destruction were assigned the task of slaying the as yet unborn firstborns still in their mother's wombs. Wow. All firstborn children died, both male and female, from from Pharaoh's nobles' sons all the way down to the enslaved firstborn of the Egyptian prisoners. The Egyptian prisoners maliciously stated, we would rather stay in jail for the rest of our lives than see the Jews go free. Hashem also slew the firstborn of all the animals because the Egyptians worshipped them. Everything that's worshipped by the non-Jews is taken down on Pesach. May that be so in our days, but may it be so at the mercy of those who are coming into covenant that none should perish. But everything else ungodly just... Man, make the choice. Be godly. Like, it's super easy. Just pick something. Light a candle. uh, Eat a matzah. Do something. You know, y'all have this moment in quarantine. Make it happen. You don't have to perish. Anyway. So, that totally happened. Um, That means the reality is that uh, at the 15th of Nisan, when the Jewish children woke up, Uh, Some of them had dead Egyptians in their bed. So the dead and the living were side by side. And the only thing that separated them was the blood of the covenant. That's how narrow the path is. So. I'm just saying, like, why wouldn't you why would you not want to be a proclaimer of the oneness of God and a, a person who follows Hashem? Like. The one who created everything. Like, how hard is it to sit down at a table on the 15th of Nisan and do 15 steps and talk about his miracles, his deliverance and his goodness and his kindness and his majesty? Is that really hard to do? I mean, you're going to dip some vegetables in salt water and uh, have crackers and veggies and then you're going to eat a wonderful meal and you're going to be drinking cups of wine through it like or grape juice why why is that so oppressive that's way easier than trying to go have a candlelight vigil in a dark room with a bunch of other people and look at a cross with a crown of thorns on it and then wake up early the next day, put out a whole bunch of plastic eggs and make your babies go search for them and then 
come back and try to make a basket and then come back to a service, a sunrise service, so you can celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Like, that's ridiculous. Now, obviously, at the end of that, there's nothing. But at the end of the Exodus is the parting of the Red Sea and going on to Mount Sinai and then going on to Sukkot. Like, it's never ending and it's always deepening. Nothing superficial. Anyway, if you're going to exert effort, I just think you should invest it in something worth investing it in. Page 106. The Yetziat Mitzrayim. That's how you say the exodus from Egypt. Yetziat Mitzrayim. Says it was the morning of the 15th of Nisan. The land of Egypt was full of the dead and expiring. Not all the firstborn had died immediately. Hashem meted out individual judgment to each firstborn. This is why, again, Hashem is so amazing because it's like you would think, oh, yeah, he just wiped out the firstborn. It's like, no, there was people you didn't know who the firstborns were because, again, Egyptian philandery and all that kind of stuff, multiple firstborns in one household because that's just how they roll. And then per firstborn, it's like some died at midnight, some died at 2 a.m., some died at 3 a.m., some died at 6 a.m. Or, as this source brings down, some of them suffered for three days and then they expired. You know what that means. That means on the festival of first fruits, i.e., resurrection day, all the Egyptians had died out and all the Jews were alive. Yeah, about that. The day Mashiach was resurrected was the point in time at which all of the firstborn Egyptians had finally died. The completion of the plague of the firstborn resulted in the resurrection of the firstborn. Let me say that again. The point in time at which the firstborn was resurrected was the point in time at which the firstborn of the Egyptians had completely expired and died from the plague. So, yeah, if you think about why it took Mashiach three days in the tomb, because that whole span was about the death of the firstborn. Mashiach was willing to die along with the wicked firstborn, but only he was raised. And he gives us the opportunity to raise with him because he's like, all right, I even died for the wicked people too. And it's like, if, if you're wicked and if you're perishing from the plague of the firstborn, you have an opportunity to cross over from death into life. But you got to die with me. You got to enter into the Pesach with me. You got to enter into Echad with me. You got to be an archer. Okay, you got to be a Chizim. Be willing to be a child of a father. So, Pesach, that's what this is. And as we raise these cups, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about crossing over from death into life. And this, this life that we're resurrected into, it's new. It's new. 
It's new and it's new. That's why everything that we're doing is a shadow of things to come as we're entering into this newness of covenant because we're doing, you know, nighttime prayers, morning prayers, afternoon prayers, nighttime prayers, morning prayers, afternoon prayers, Shabbat. You know, obviously the the whole cycle, full it out and all that kind of stuff. And then the festivals and all that. We're constantly just going and going and going and doing and doing because eternal life is new and new and new and new. So every single time you get these opportunities to go through tour portions, go through the prayers and go through all this stuff, like this is, it's supposed to be experienced as brand new every single time. And again, I brought this down last week that why do we say the Shema two times a day when we retire, when we arise? Because at that point, we're experiencing an exodus which is directly directly related and connected to the time that Mashiach says no one knows the time, the day or the hour that the Son of Man's return will be, which is an exodus. When Mashiach returns, it will be the final exodus. So if we're always ready for it, then it can't sneak up on us. But if we're not ready for it, then it can sneak up on us. And the way to not be ready for it is to not be new and new and new and new resurrection life entering into the prayers entering into the Shema which is the Pesach because again the Shema is all about the oneness of God Pesach breaks down to Echad because Pesach is 148 1 plus 4 plus 8 is 13 which is Echad which is what the Shema teaches us so the Pesach the Shema resurrection life newness constant and uh, redemption and all of that. So, man, be so that we just go straight forward into the final redemption. May Hashem appear before the entire globe and redeem it. Cast away all death, sickness, idolatry, and gross darkness from the four corners of the earth and all throughout the cosmos. Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai, Ki Lishuateka Kiviti Hashem. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.